right, we are back with another episode of Well-Behaved Women. This one, as you can tell, we're hoping to be a little bit of a lighter episode. Yeah, for we, the most part. I mean, yeah, I mean, there'll be some, some you know, everything is sad. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we're trying to make it a little, uh, like, you know, some lighter topics. Basic, yeah, basically, we want to have fun because the last few episodes we've just been like, and everyone just sighs. But yeah, so I'm Emily. And I'm Meredith. And I said that weird. And I'm Meredith. <laughs> and I'm Meredith. <laughs> but yeah, this is another episode of Well-Behaved Women. Um, we've decided this week is going to be a quick hits pod. We're going to yeah. do... Three, lightning round. Yeah, lightning round. Um, a couple articles that we read this week and we thought were interesting. We decided we should share. Um, All right. Yeah. So the first episode episode the first episode i'm gonna i'm not i'm gonna not edit this one so yeah, much whatever. so i'm just gonna leave that Let's in just go um the first article is from the atlantic um mm-hmm. and it says when abortion is legal women rarely die but they still suffer so this is it says it's a look at what happens when abortion is forbidden from countries where it still is so um i think it's talking about argentina right and um, it kind of talks about yeah. multiple countries in it where abortion is illegal and what people like what happens there Mm -hmm. um so this is actually probably our heaviest story but i thought it was interesting um because the idea behind the story is with the uh sad nomination and ascension it's a weird word i can't even think of a good one of justice kavanaugh the seating the seating (laughs) sit down bitch (laughs) sorry (laughs) that's what we think of that yeah but anyway um with that you know there is more risk to abortion rights in this country and there's you know we've talked about this on past pods about what that could mean for abortion mm-hmm. access and you could depend on where you live um but a lot of the the discussion around it is that um women could die like in the past like you've seen the coat hanger yeah you know which is like a always makes me very like, it's very grisly but kind of the the thought within this article is kind of the research into like now in a different time period when there's actually access to medication that can cause an abortion right um maybe not easy access for everyone but that would probably be the route that um it's kind of argued in the story what people would go to if they needed an abortion and it were illegal where they lived which is more safe than, for instance, you know, trying to give yourself an abortion like the traditional coat hanger method that mm-hmm. could cause, you know, perforation of your uterus and bleeding out and Ugh. sepsis. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, so it's so ideally they're saying that that would be a safer option. Um, so maybe less deaths would happen, but there would still, as pointed out in this article, um, women would still suffer um like legal rep- uh repercussions yeah um and what that could mean what would it mean if you had a miscarriage like how like what is the difference between an abortion and a miscarriage could you tell the difference between that right like legally if, like if somebody started performing their own abortion at home like even you know medically which mm-hmm. means taking a, a pill that mm-hmm. induces um abortion and then they like become ill and need to go to the hospital or something like how would a doctor i mean i guess you can like test You'd for probably... medication but but i mean i don't know it's like does that woman then go to jail if she's like ill or like you know you mm-hmm. know what i mean i just don't really get how practically this works in places where it's and i mean it does happen in some countries women are you know in, you know in prison for what could be con- you know for consider like doing having an abortion or mm-hmm. performing an abortion on themselves but it's 
sort of a hard question because as kind of is discussed in here like will women lie to doctors not say what happened or what they did right like which can jeopardize your health because if a doctor doesn't have full access to what's going on with you medically or doesn't have the mm -hmm. right amount of information then they might mistreat you yeah um one thing that i thought was interesting in this story was uh she was discussing what like what would how you would most likely die in a country if abortion were illegal and they she's saying like some of the largest risks based on the research in this article would be things like um you dying from a pregnancy that maybe you needed an abortion but the doctors were afraid to perform one because they weren't sure if it was illegal at that point or when you know yeah. when the line becomes that they could perform an abortion and that seems like a serious concern to me like you know you want your doctors to be concerned for your well-being and not you know legally this fetus which yeah. ap apparently has more rights than you in this situation yeah. um so that was an interesting one that i thought that was that was a good sort of discussion of what could happen um um then of course some doctors wouldn't know what to do with like ectopic pregnancies yeah where a an egg fertilized like sticks. it implants like in the fallopian tubes mm -hmm. which is incredibly dangerous because it's yeah like it is potentially deadly it will not like it is not viable in right, any way it can't <laughs> yeah if the second it's bigger than the fallopian tube you got problems um, um or like if doctors wouldn't want to treat pregnant women um with chemotherapy or like other medications that could cause which could also be dangerous for that woman um, and she also pointed out people, like, particularly younger women who might kill themselves if they found out they were pregnant and couldn't get an abortion. So those are, like, kind of the, the danger zones for women in some of these countries. Yeah, I think, I don't know, it's interesting. Like, I, I wonder what doctors think of this, too, where it's, like, if somebody, because I think one thing we need to, like, zoom out and talk about as, like, abortion isn't always, like, I'm electing to have an abortion because I don't want to have a child. There are a lot of times when your pregnancy is no longer viable and you have to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that there, you know, if the law was overturned in America, I'm sure there would be some sort of, it, some states might have, you know, an exception if the mother's life is in danger. But like, what if your doctor is super Catholic and is like, I don't know. I'd rather you both die. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I like, how do you, <laughs> you prefer you both die? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, also like, how do you draw that line? Like, when is, when is the mother's life sufficiently in danger to right. allow an abortion? Like, how sick do you have to and be? And it's also just gross that we're talking about, like, doctors making this decision. Yeah. As opposed to, like, it's just, I don't... Or, like, somebody else making the decision other than the woman. Yeah. I mean, those were some of the cases that got big, that, um were big in Ireland before they recently yeah. did allow abortion access. Which, do you know abortions there are now free? I did not know that. Yeah. Which, I saw an article this week. They went where from it was like, like yeah. zero to a hundred. I was <laughs> like, God, the luck of the Irish here. Like, <laughs> But yeah, it, it's, it's, that's the kind of thing that also, when I was reading this article, I was like, well, then I guess you can die, but it's just less likely than in the past when, you know, you read stories about how doctors would encounter like a woman dying of sepsis like every day because she attempted an abortion. Right. So maybe that's not the deaths that would happen, but deaths could happen and other suffering could happen. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think to be to use the as you use the good word grizzly i think that's a good word choice really? the like grizzly choice of coat hanger ugh, i don't think that's like really how it would go anymore i think you're mm -hmm. right it is more about the medication but 
like it's still something that I don't know like things go wrong taking medicine or like what if you got like an illegal medicine that like how do you wasn't know what it yeah is? how do you know yeah. that it's legit like there are a lot of people out there that are just trying to sell shit and it's not legit or what if you don't that know rhymes. if you're taking it I don't there's just like <laughs> yeah a lot of a lot of things that I would be concerned about I think the the base <laughs> issue here is that if abortion will happen regardless of um yeah like, whether or not <laughs> whether or not it is legal women who are desperate and are making a choice because they have a desperate circumstance or the, even just they're not ready or you know they don't have the financial means or the emotional mm-hmm. means or whatever like they're gonna find a way to do it and so we just it's like we just don't value women's lives enough to be like mm-hmm. and that they know yeah. what it would take yeah. for them to get like to raise a child or to carry a pregnancy to term um i think another thing that like i think we've discussed before that like i don't think people take pregnancies seriously no for sure we still need to have our pregnancy pod i know we need to find some people if if you're out there and you're pregnant or have been pregnant or are an obgyn oh that'd be cool yeah if you have any idea what's going on in there yeah I have not been. Do so any, I don't yeah. Know anything about Do you have any it? idea what's going on with Lady Biscuits with Lady Biscuits? <laughs> That's my new favorite term for for, Is for that, Lady Bit. Oh, okay. Like, I was wondering which bit. <laughs> the the uh, the outside biscuit. <laughs> the outside biscuit. Because, like, I had this funny thought the other day. This is totally off topic, but I, like, want to share this with people. That, like, you, you know, if you're doing some self-grooming um, and you cut yourself a little bit Ugh. you know like just like not you know in the yeah in the region the top part the bikini region <laughs> um i was like you know what we should call that we should call that oh no i nicked my biscuit uh, i just like doesn't that sound british it does sound I, british. I nicked my biscuit <laughs> fly me that really hurt sorry now we're all start. we're all over the place now but anyway <laughs> so let's we can end the abortion discussion because we're just Let's let's keep going. Yeah, let's keep going. Lightning let's keep round. Going lightning, on round. lightning round. Lightning round. Okay. Though we did have our sad discussion for the. This one actually isn't super upbeat, but at least it's an interesting discussion. Yeah. So this next one is from BuzzFeed News, um, and it was written by, I think, a former ballerina, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, "Is there such a thing as a ballet that doesn't hurt women?" Um, so basically, the ballet scene, I think, in New York and worldwide, has kind of been one of the stages pun intended i guess um where me too has really kind of come to light and the issues that ballerinas and these dancers face uh the abuse from um choreographers mm-hmm. and directors and coaches or she kind of points out are often male yeah like people who like the the big dancing stars are like female like the yeah. ballerinas usually but the people who are behind the scenes and are kind of making those decisions like you said the directors and the choreographers are frequently male which is like a whole other thing to it's me. so interesting and so that's true in a lot of i think jobs or art you know it's like women might be out there or in front but the boss is a man yeah so this writer ellen o'connell would it I, I don't know if i'm pronouncing that right um she talks about how she was really injured in a ballet rehearsal where she actually broke her back on like a bad like f- like a bad catch like her partner was supposed to like her male partner was supposed to like catch her mm-hmm. and like she kind of kind of talked about how this was kind of like hap- like on the way to ha- like she had yeah. been kind of pushing herself too far yeah and this could have it was like it was literally just- the straw that broke the camel's back like it yeah uh it was 
basically she talks about kind of the the physical i don't want to say torture because that sounds really dramatic (laughs) but the physical strain that ballerinas in particular experience because not only are they supposed to be super thin um to the point where like i think eating disorders is is pretty pretty common. common Um, but also they do a lot of damage to, I think their spines and to their feet in particular and those damn shoes. Um, I don't know. I was never about, I did ballet when I was a little kid. Yeah. But she's kind of discussing how, like, I didn't, I never got to this level, you know, I just like thought ballet was like pretty when I was like a little girl. And like, then I ended up in ballet and was never good at it, but she's kind of discussing how it's kind of, um, part of the culture there to like push yourself yeah. to like a point that like really like your body can't handle like it's like pain is supposed to happen yeah, no because pain, you're spo- no game yeah. yeah and she was saying like you know people would like she would like stretch she had like a younger girl like sit on her feet to like stretch them out which obviously what she was saying wasn't good for her but yeah. she was like trying to go past the limit her body already had and she's also discussing how a lot of it would be like a lot of times choreographers or directors like physically moving her into a position and again a lot of time they were men so they'd sometimes be grabbing her and maybe like you would think a sexual way yeah and also like literally pushing you to a point that you aren't in control of what your you know your body can handle um so that's like a that's an interesting thing and like i said i did ballet but i was like you know like a baby mm-hmm. and i was like never good at it yeah I've ne- i was never to like stretchy mm-hmm. and me neither you know, I mostly just, I was really into the costumes for the most part. I'm like a series of pretzel sticks, like stacked on top of each other. Like I only bend <laughs> one way, like I can only do right angles. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting cause like it seems so much more extreme because like with any sport and I do think like ballet is kind oh, of a sure. cross between a sport and an art. Yeah. Um, in dance in general, I think, um, like there's always going to be a I'm pushing myself to my body's limit, um, especially in really intense sports. Like I, you know, I was watching the Chicago Marathon last weekend, and I was like, "Holy God! Like these people are gonna poop themselves." <laughs> and I'm just thinking, like, which I, to me is is a no. Yeah, no from me. <laughs> I'm gonna go no on on the poopings of yeah, the self. You know, that's just not my thing. But I do think it's a common thing in in sports. But I think it's interesting that there is this element in ballet where someone else comes in and manipulates your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which like, you do see in like pop culture too, that they'll yeah, like move you. Adjust you. Yeah. yeah. But like in running, you don't have like a coach coming up and like grabbing your like leg and like twisting it in a certain way. Yeah, I mean, like I do this. That's yeah. how ballet works, right? <laughs> you just twist your legs. Just like all around. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think it's really interesting. And I, I think the other part of it too is like that, that bothers me just about, this culture and is that the assumption and the almost I guess the requirement that you have to be super thin and it's like we don't appreciate any other body size in this Mm -hmm. art form other than super skinny and I know that like maybe there's some kind of like flexibility thing going on or like you have like if you're being lifted but like I don't know it's like there's a lack of appreciation for just like any body type yeah. like you they're all super like flat chested and like very narrow and very straight it's and, very like, like white too like you like super white yeah, yeah like the that's like the the ballet kind of like look yeah um but i have seen and i think i have seen women who are ballet dancers who are actually like 
pretty bad, honestly. And I, I mean, they're kind of definitely on the outside, but they're, mm-hmm. but they kind of put themselves out there to show that this is yeah. like, that you can dance and all this stuff is possible with a body type that isn't, you know, there's only, there's more body types that are available for this kind of, you know, art form and like sport, like you were discussing. Wasn't well, Misty Copeland, that's her name, right? I'm Googling it really quick. Doing some Googling. I mean, there are certainly other, like, ballerinas that are outside this, like, skinny white, for sure. But I think, like, the culture generally is probably, as she's discussing, pushing this one body type, which isn't really, you know. Yeah. Like, Misty Copeland, yeah, that's her name. Um, She was uh, at the American Ballet Theater. She was, like, one of a few African-American women Mm -hmm. um, to be promoted as, like, the principal dancer. She was the first African-American woman to become the principal dancer. Um. And she, I, I remember seeing, like, a story on her, I think, like, it was 60 Minutes or something, where, like, they talked about how she had, like, her legs were, like, bigger than most ballerinas because she had, like, super strong, because you have to have really strong yeah. legs, but, like, she had, like, l- like thicker thighs or something, but she's still, granted, super skinny, but it was still just, like, people were saying, oh, she looks athletic, and it was like, well, yeah, this is a freaking sport. Like, you want me to be super thin, but you also want me to have muscles? Pick it, a lane! Yeah, and she's also talking about this in this story, too, about how it's, like, a contrast that everything is supposed to look very effortless and light, but, yeah. this, but that requires a lot of muscle and, like, strength to make it look like that. You can't, like, put your body, like, with that amount of control without a lot of muscle, so, but so it's kind of like a weird, <laughs> like a weird, like dichotomy, you know? Yeah. When it's like, I'm, we're like, I'm looking at one of the pictures in the article right now and this woman is like very thin and her foot looks like freakish because of the angle that it's at. Yeah. Cause it's not, I don't think like a natural way that you would hold yourself probably, but that's the way the it's supposed to look. Yeah. I don't know. I think it just kind of shows that we, it's just like another I think asking women to be a level of perfection that maybe I'm not saying doesn't exist because there are like very perfect dancers and ballerinas, but mm-hmm. also, I don't know. I think it's just, it seems like a very tough environment because there's like a physical and mental toughness that's required while also having to like possibly starve yourself. And I don't know how you do it. I yeah. mean, this, I didn't this writer say like, she was like, if my daughter, asked me or there's some she quoted someone in the story like if my daughter was like I want to do ballet I'd tell her to run in the other direction yeah I mean I think that is a thought I mean that's probably true for a lot of things there's like a very specific body you know look that people are looking for and I think that maybe if we as a culture more widely could just chill the fuck out like just a little bit just about what other people look like then we would all be better off you know like I I think that's true probably not just in ballet, but, like, you know, women already have a very, like, narrow, like... Window of what you're supposed to look like. Yeah, yeah. and also there's such a narrow window of time in which you can look that yeah. way. Um, and I'm I'm heading out the other end of that window of time. Everyone is! Like, because, you know, there's no way that you can be look, like, extremely young, because that's really the, the goal here. Like, they want... Like, you want to look like 18 probably yeah but also have giant boobs but also be very thin yeah which is just none not of those possible it's true oh, like most of those things are not possible at the same time for, <laughs> you all, know? for all you gentlemen out there i just want you to know boobs are actually just big hunks of fat like God, the amount of times i feel like i need to explain this to someone did you ever have like an experience like i swear to god in high school dudes would be like oh yeah well she's got big boobs but she's just fat so they're i'm like all oh, boobs are yeah. dumb motherfucker 
describing like a fat udder. Like that's what they, what's what they are. I'm like, gonna start calling my boobs that. I'm gonna. Utter. I've, I felt like showing off my fat udders tonight. <laughs> I'm going to the bar. I'm gonna show a little cleave and my show fat udders. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. All right. Next topic. All right. Moving on. All right. So this one is good. Delightful. Yeah. So the New York Times um, this week published this big interactive like photo video story called This is 18 Mm -hmm. in which they have um, like young women who are like turning 18 or just turned 18 to like discuss what their lives are like. And they decided that um, because usually young women are like the subject of photography, but often not the photographers. Yeah. They're like in front of the camera, but they're not like part of the decision making process. Yeah. They had like young women photographers and videographers do all the work. Um, and so it's really interesting just getting like ac- around the world because they have people like literally from like everywhere like in here they have yeah. a bunch of different places china south korea america i think england australia. australia like literally like probably on probably just everywhere yeah not everywhere but <laughs> every world, world antarctica they had an 18 year old penguin take yeah a picture but it's of. very broad and it discusses all the like different like lifestyles and what they're doing at 18 which is kind of you know a moment of burgeoning adulthood yes bird oh wow look at you with the word choice today damn girl i'm on it check out that word choice look at that word choice but it's so good i the design on the story is amazing like it's just like it looks like a scrapbook i think it's really cute um i i think it's such an interesting concept to just be like we're gonna give an 18 year old kind of autonomy about to tell her own story Mm -hmm. because I don't think we do that for young people in general but especially young women because like I know when I was 18 if someone was like oh here's a camera take pictures of yourself and your friends and your family and what's important to you and what's important to you for a week or however long they did it um yeah i don't think the girls themselves were taking pictures. right like there was another photo but it was yeah. like they were also young women so it was yeah kind of a right lady-based like, experience yeah, lady-based <laughs> um but if someone told me that when i was 18 i would have been like oh, i'm not interesting i don't have anything cool to say okay bye. Mm. like i would have just like blushed and ran away um in my cardigan and bell-bottom jeans oh god not bell-bottom jeans but, but like, like on flare flare no, jeans yeah. we're on the same page because that's the same thing that i would wear but it just made me start thinking about like how i was when i was 18 and like i know chronologically it's not that long ago i'm not going to tell everyone my age but my friends who are my age that listen know how old meredith I am. is so old <laughs> i'm 74 you wouldn't think it but she's yeah she's getting up i'm spry for a 74 year old (laughs) um and just now starting my career um but lazy (laughs) so but i was like very a very anxious 18 year old Mm -hmm. very i was like one of those straight a students who like over like a definitely definitely an overachiever and like a b was just like you fucking moron what did you do with a b (laughs) Like, I was definitely not, yeah, I was not a confident girl. And I think it's it's such a cool thing to do to show these girls at this time. Because, like, in my situation, I was, like, I turned 18 when I was a senior at the beginning of my, like, senior year of high school. Um, and I was, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do about college and what was what comes next. And I think that's 
I remember just being scared that whole year. Oh God, I was terrified. I had no fucking idea what I was doing. Like, yeah, but I was also a great, you know, exciting year. I was like in a play that I I was in Fiddler on the Roof. I played Golda. Yeah, I went like my crowning jewel. (laughs) Just FYI, I went to a state in a speech. uh, Oh, damn! Just uh, that's what I'm good at. I'm good at nerdy shit like that. You're good at talking. Yeah, you're good at talking and debating. Did you debate? No, I went to stay for impromptu speaking oh. and they gave you like a like a prompt and you had like two minutes approximately to come up with a six minute speech that you would come up with. So oh that's why God. I talk so good on this podcast. That's why I talk so good. <laughs> but here's my question. Like, what would the prompt be? And like, what would you talk sometimes about? Sometimes they were quotes. Sometimes they were just words. So, OK, here's a quote. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself i literally almost forgot that quote okay so So what would your speech be so what you would do is you would have like two minutes and you would take like the only thing to fear is fear itself and you'd kind of come up with like a thesis for that like so what am i going to talk about like what what's my thought process behind this and you'd say like oh like eh, maybe i'll do something like why you might be afraid of things but you need to push through and go anyway like you can't allow fear to like control you and you'd come up with like three examples to like prove your thesis and so you'd find like a book in which this happened maybe historical figure you know stuff like that so i had like like in my brain like all these books and like people that i thought had good like morals and stuff and like reasons to them yeah now that i'm thinking about it i'm like damn that was very difficult yeah how did you do that i would have just panicked and passed out yeah but it was really fun i don't know that's what but that's what i was like when i was 18 but i also was like kind of nervous and i like just didn't know what i was doing and so it was really interesting to go through this and looking at like what teenagers are now because they are like pretty younger pretty decently younger than me yeah i'm it's funny i'm looking at one of the ones right now from a girl in london and they like there's like a picture with her of like all her makeup and her makeup brushes and i'm just like why are you wearing makeup at 18 i like know i'm a bad feminist for saying that but i I'm mean like, i think i did i, think I, I for sure did yeah, but I if i, I could go back at high school and oh, probably I, middle school too. i wore makeup when i was in middle school and i'm looking back and just like damn it like you should have been free just go I without think, the makeup. I think about that now, though. Like, I'm like, what are you doing? What's like, yeah, why am but I, I also, like, do, like, I don't know. I think it's both an art form and a pain in the ass. So it's yeah. like a, it's a, but it's so interesting to, and worldwide what things are for, like, different girls in different countries and what they're, a lot of them are talking about, like, college and what they're doing next. So that's, like, a big thing. With, yeah. Like, they're, they're moving forward in life and, like, what adulthood means to them. So that's really interesting. But, like, do you think back when you were, like, 18, like, like, I think I'm like, God, I was so dumb then. Like, how different are you now? Which is, you know. Very. I'm, I'm like, both more uptight and more mellow in different ways. <laughs> like. That's very true. Um, I think I've definitely grown up and I'm a lot more independent like I I always used to like need a buddy to do things you know Mm -hmm. but when I moved to Chicago after college I was like okay well I have to figure this out on my own because I don't know anybody here Mm -hmm. um and I think that was like a big thing I'd be interested to see like girls at age like 22 23 that's um, an interesting age too because it's like that's when you know if you're going to a four-year college or university or if you're like by you know if you didn't go to college or university by then you've been in the workforce for a few years and you're a little bit more not established by any means because you're still like figuring it out but you're definitely like on the on the on to the next step you mm-hmm. know um no longer necessarily a student unless you're like me and you went to grad school before um <laughs> we can talk about that i was meaner then though <laughs> 
You think you're meaner? Yeah, well, I think I've become more assertive. Like, I think when I yeah. was in... Oh, I've become way more assertive. Yeah, when I was in, like, high school, I would never... Like, there are so many things that I wouldn't speak, you know, I wouldn't speak up about. And, like, I always thought my mom was too assertive, you know? Like, she would, she would like, say when things, like, tell people when something was wrong. And that would, like, stress me out. Yeah. But now I think I've just become that. Yeah. When, which, over time, I'm just like, yeah, no, this isn't working and this isn't good. So we're not going to do it like this because I think that's wrong. And I <laughs> can not imagine myself doing that 18 and I can not imagine what I'll be like in 10 years like what happens when I'm in my 30s and I'm just like yeah yeah everybody fuck off (laughs) like I won't care about anything that it'll be amazing I um I'm just thinking back to the story when I was 18 I think I swear even more it'll be cool I had just turned 18 and I was in the play Uh, Fiddler on the the Roof I'm gonna keep bringing that back because I'm I was talking about this morning with someone and I was like oh Sometimes those things, like, when you're that, when they're that age, things just, like, stick with you, Yeah, you know? for sure. But so I remember these guys were at, they were, like, sitting in front of me in the theater, and we were, like, waiting to, you know, chat and stuff before rehearsal. And one of them, like, turned around and was like, hey, what would you say if this guy said something like this to you? And it was, like, some kind of stupid pickup line that was just, like, gross. Mm-hmm. And I looked the two guys dead in the face, and I was like, I would say, what are you compensating for? And I was Ooh, 18. shit, girl. And I was just like, okay, so maybe I've always been this way. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was just starting Yeah, then. I think it might have been. I think the attitude and the sense of humor was definitely, like, I think it's it's coming out getting of what you are yeah and then you get challenged so much like right after you like yeah like you know maybe get a job or go to college or move out of your parents house or whatever like there's so many challenges that come with that because you just don't know anything my first semester of college it was like more b's than a's i was talking about i was a straight a nerd but like i was like whoa this is so much harder yeah Um, for me the and it leveled out but yeah yeah Yeah, it's definitely an adjustment the social part is so hard boys or girls if you're into girls like just any sort of deal with romance like yeah having to deal with any sort of young love is just like simultaneously the best and worst experience like I was talking about this with um with my boyfriend and we were talking about how like when you're 16 and in love it's like such a powerful emotion it's like it's all you think about it's super passionate and so dumb and so dumb and like super dramatic but when you get older love turns into something a little more mellow but like a little I think a little bit more real and we were just like is that sad did we just no I think it's deeper did we just say did we just yeah I'm like did I just say that I don't love you passionately I'm sorry (laughs) I think but I think the way you feel when you're this young, you know, and when you have feelings for someone else, it's it's almost like surface level because it's yeah. like very passionate. But it's like, how how much time did you really think to like talk to the other person? What's how much time right. are you even spending with them? Right. You know, like, like I see them every Friday night at the football game. Yeah, you just don't have that experience, and you're probably also too embarrassed to ask questions that are oh, like yeah. really important to ask. Um, well, and just like every beyond romance, like everything is super intense emotions. Like, you know, if I got a bad grade on a test or got in a fight with a friend, which fortunately didn't happen all that often, but like, you know, you cry. Like, I just remember like always being in tears or on the verge of tears. I was just always so stressed. So many I know. Oh my God. <sighs> I wonder if it's different for boys. I wonder what those things are. I think it's probably more, I think it's there for sure, but I think they have to learn other types of like behaviors they have to cover it up and act cool whereas like 
I never cared about acting cool. Well, I cared, but I was never successful at it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I don't think I was cool. By the time I was in high school, I was more like, I'm like, fine, this is how I am. Right. I think there's also like a pressure to be cool or whatever at this age or to like be somebody, you know, or Mm -hmm. like, like, oh, when everyone tells you you're, you're 18 and like, the world is your oyster like you have so much potential or you're going places it's like no friggin pressure Mm -hmm. but now it's just like i don't care about being cool because i think like if you are 18 and you're listening to this like in a few years you're gonna be like oh i don't why did i waste so much time on that no and and it's important and and i do think it's like belittling to be like oh you shouldn't care about that stuff when you're 18 because like you do and that's okay to care about it but it's just hard it's like almost amazing how much you'll change in like however many years because i guess now i'm i'm turning 27 in december which seems old to me so i guess i'm like nine ish eight to nine years older than mm-hmm. the and i feel so different like i can't imagine like i can't even imagine what it would be like to meet 18 year old emily yeah. like i would just be like girl just like relax just relax <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be fine like you're gonna figure you're gonna figure out no one else knows what they're doing now i do think though that i like in some of like the reporting that we both did in grad school talking to high school students or I work with young college students like freshmen mm-hmm. right now um that are like interns where I work and I'm so impressed by like their confidence and their intelligence and I'm yeah. always just like okay we there's hope for the world because I they're like technically not in our generation right 18 year olds I think like, they might be I think so generations are kind of also dumb because yeah. they don't have it's hard to find a clear cutoff but from what my understanding the oldest of gen z are like 23 so technically we are closer to the oldest gen z than we are closer to the oldest oldest millennials the oldest millennials are almost 40 right yeah so i have very 1980 to 1995 or 85 to 85 yeah i don't know it's see again no one knows what it is but like but millennials are selfish (laughs) millennials don't know what they're doing but yeah, so I think we are we are millennials for sure, but we're on definitely the younger end of millennials. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we're probably maybe have more in common with the older Gen Z than we do with the older millennials. But yeah, but they also have smartphones a lot sooner than we do. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know, know why I like mumbled that. Those crazy thing. teens and their jewel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, they are smart. Everyone is. I think they're they're because they have such an access to information that I guess I did, but it was a little different. Yeah. Like I didn't really have a solid smartphone until maybe I was 18, 17 yeah. or 18 or some way that I could access the internet that like, wasn't also my parents' computer, you know? So yeah. maybe that's like access to information is very empowering, but also can be difficult when you're young and you don't know how to process it. So yeah. I think the last thing I'll say about this New York times piece is that it's like it's so beautiful like and I don't mean to like say that in like a these girls are so pretty like it's not a I'm not trying to diminish them to their Mm -hmm. appearance but like I think it is really and this is going to be really cheesy but it is really beautiful to see all these different like ways of life and like different types of people um different like races and ethnicities and like they're all just so like the snapshots of life are just all so gorgeous and I yeah, it's like it's super it's really heartwarming in a lot of ways. So, we recommend. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, other recommendations. Let's yeah. move on to that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you got? Okay. So, so I got I'm sorry. I'm messing with my phone because I'm struggling with it today because I'm old. 
Because I'm not a Gen Z. I'm not a Gen Z with their smartphones from middle school. Anyway, but those crazy kids. Anyway, so my recommendation this week is an interview on the Ezra Klein Show, which is a podcast. I love the pod. Um, And it was with Rebecca Traster, who's an author and a writer. Um, She has a new book out called Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger, which came out like almost the perfect time, like on Earth. Like, can you imagine? (laughs) Like, planning that, like... Like, can you, like, geez. Like, you must have been like, oh, well, this is ideal. Are you but a anyway. fortune teller? Yeah. But anyway, so this book came out, and Ezra Klein interviewed Rebecca Traster about it. And it was a really good interview. I do want to read the book, though I have not yet. Um, but the interview is a good taste, I think, of what she's going to discuss in her book. And it's very interesting because you would think, like, kind of the thesis that she was saying a lot in um, – in the interview was that you know white men's anger is like taken very seriously politically and in many other ways where other people's are not Mm -hmm. which you like if someone told me that i'd be like yeah that's probably true but like the the detail she goes into is very like was very eye-opening to me like when i was listening to it i thought yeah no that's definitely true those are all great examples so i would definitely recommend listening to it to get kind of a more idea on how how women express anger and how like women and people of color and their anger and their feelings are not taken seriously politically the way white men's are another good thing that i thought that she pointed out that it's not that it's it's good that it's taken seriously. Like we should take feel, you know, anger and feelings of discontent over our political system seriously, probably from anyone. But the problem is that like white men's are like the most important and the only right. one that we really take. And then like all of this other anger fills by more people is <laughs> kind of like, well, that's a little dramatic or you're, you're being too angry and you're derailing the conversation. Whereas, you know, that could be an important uh, political point. Yeah. Listen to, listen to the interview sounds super relevant listen to the that pod. sounded sarcastic but i meant that yeah <laughs> that sounds super relevant emily bullied. <laughs> um so i'm also gonna recommend well it's not a podcast it's um an interview with a journalist by the names of vanessa by the names of by the name of vanessa gregoriatis i don't know if i'm saying that right um they probably said it on the pod they too. did but i don't remember because i listened yesterday oh so. god um but it's Fresh Air, which is, you know, hosted by my girl, Terry Gross. I freaking love Terry. Terry, if you're listening. <laughs> I wish I could interview oh someone my God. like her. I know. She's so good. She can just like, someone can be like talking about how they like work in agriculture and she'd be like, so what was your father like? And, and you're then like, that person Whoa. like gets in depth Yeah. And then it. they like start crying and you're like, does she break people down? I don't understand. She does get right to the question. She though. does. She's, She's great. <laughs> um. But what I love about her show is that every time I listen to it, no matter what the topic, like, uh, I it always makes me want to read or listen to or watch whatever it is, she, whoever it is mm-hmm. she just interviewed. But so it was this um, journalist, Vanessa Gregoriatis, I'm going to say that twice now. Um, uh, she's the author of a book called Blurred Lines, and she kind of weighed in on how colleges are handling um, sexual assault cases and how kind of there isn't this universally agreed upon definition of sexual assault. And I thought that was a really interesting point that she was saying that some conversations on college campuses now we're talking about sexual assault is like sexual assault can be a verbal assault. And I was like, whoa, that's like a really intense way of thinking about it. And there were like some things that like, I wasn't sure that I agreed with even as like a 
bra burning feminist. I'm kidding. I need a bra. Um, but I no one needs a bra, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really interesting because one of the things she brought up that I thought was so interesting was um, fraternity and sorority culture. Mm-hmm. And she was saying how there's like it, the Panhellenic like gr- like group in charge of the United like all Greek mm-hmm. life on in the United States sororities are never allowed to serve alcohol at their parties but fraternities are so she was saying that that kind of automatically puts the control in like the men's or the young or the boys hands essentially like they're the ones that get to have like the big parties and so they set the you know like oh our theme is going to be the little mermaid so like everybody come dressed in a bikini you know what i mean and and i guess flippers but um (laughs) but like i just thought it was really interesting the way she was talking about how toxic fraternity culture is and how drinking plays such a role and how I, I just I don't know because I am <laughs> I'm really sorry if I have friends out there who are and I do have friends out there that were in sororities I just like it that life is not for me um and no, my my both my parents were in a sorority and fraternity um in like the 70s and 80s but the author or the journalist was saying that it gets um fraternity culture really started getting bad kind of in the 80s like animal house was kind of a you know that movie was kind of like a parody of it but it actually kind of started to become animal house after that movie and so um yeah i don't know i just like feel like it's so problematic in the way that it like these parties sort of seek to objectify women from the get-go that women aren't in control that they're like don't have control over their alcohol consumption in a lot of ways or, or not that but like they don't they're not the ones like serving the beer. Yeah, like, you don't know. It's who. the guy's job to get the keg, and and I just I don't know. It was really interesting, and she really like sold me on like how shitty fraternities and sororities are, and I and I know for a lot of people it's like a social network that's really important, and I do believe that there are good sororities and fraternities mm-hmm. out there. Like I know there are service fraternities and service sororities, but. Um, but yeah, and my mom is always like, I was in a sorority, don't knock it. And I'm like, yeah, but you were in a sorority in like the early 80s before shit went really far south. Well, you didn't go to a school that had like a big... No, they had like a business fraternity and they had a few like black sororities, but it was never... There was not gr- there was not Greek life. There were not frat houses and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, we didn't have... We, we had sororities and fraternities, I guess, but they were not, um, we, we, we didn't have any houses. Like, yeah. we were in Chicago, so they're, that just is not a thing. And yeah. also, I kept hearing, like, a rumor that we couldn't have them for mm-hmm. some reason. And I was like, all right, fine. But I, that was not a thing that I was interested in. I, like, specifically yeah. went to a school that did not have those sort too. of things. Me too. I, like, I didn't picked, want it. I went to Xavier in Cincinnati almost specifically because I wouldn't have to, like, join a sorority to have a good time yeah the i mean hazing stuff always scared me i think that's like i was a very scared teenager so from I was like, my perspective or from my point of view i i, I don't see a ton of value in it mm-hmm. for most things yeah i mean i've seen i knew people in like service fraternities that seemed actually really fun which was actually like a co-ed yeah. group yeah. honestly which my, seemed to like negate a lot of the my friends at the university of kentucky go U of L cardinals boo uk um they were in a service fraternity and they did like a really cool stuff and it was co-ed and it like it wasn't about like drinking. a friend group. Yeah. Anything, it was like, which was, which seemed cool. I mean, to it's me. a service group essentially. Yeah. yeah. So I think those are great, but like the social ones, it's just like, I'm here to get shit faced. 
um i just i don't know i think it seems kind of dangerous but yeah it's not a thing for but, me i don't know yeah but and i don't want to knock it if it's for because i know it's for other people and that it and that people do make lifelong friendships and stuff out of it so i've really backed myself into a corner now but no but I, I mean it's true for anything that like like there are good things mm-hmm. that are mixed into very toxic cultures. Yeah. And you, you might have to say overall, like this is probably not a good thing, even when certain groups are great and certain people get good experiences out of it. Yeah. So, you know, most things are shades of gray. Yeah, for sure. But I just thought it was interesting that like young women on college campuses are now saying that like, as opposed to no means no consent, it's yes means yes. So you need a verbal yes or like, not even a verbal, but like the way the journalist put it, like you need some kind of like signal that the woman is enjoying it, like a, a moan or like, you know what I mean? Or like she removes her own clothes or his clothes, you know what I mean? Like, which seems obvious to me. But yeah. But, <laughs> but like that. So that kind of consent, right? That it's enthusiastic. Informative. Consent. Yeah. yeah. And not just than, like she's not like fighting me off. Yeah. So I guess it's fine. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I just thought it was really interesting and um. They're t- she was also talking about, and I'll end it here, but she was talking about how the co- the when she said she was in her 40s and she said when she was in college that it was it was like the dominating kind of narrative was don't get raped. Like, here's your rape whistle. Here's your mace. Like, yeah, you take care of yourself. And now like women, young women on college campuses are like crossing out that sign and saying, don't rape. Yeah. Like, we're putting this on you. We need to be teaching young men about this. But um but yeah, and I just thought it was really interesting. Um, and yeah. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> well, I guess that's our quick hits pod this our week. Our quick hits pod. Lightning round. Lightning round. So also, what you can do to get in contact with us, <laughs> you can go to wellbehavedwomenpod.wordpress.com. Someday we're going to have a real website. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it. But we'll it's see. a thing. We're, we're working on it. Um, you can email us at wellbehavedwomenpod at gmail.com if you have any thoughts, feelings. If you want to be on the pod, we're always looking for, for friends to join us. Yes, we're we also are. looking for women who are doing cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a Twitter. It's WBW Podcast. So you can follow us there, too. Yeah. So anyway, um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We were a little squirrely because we're about to go get small Cheval burgers. <laughs> like literally uh, yeah. right now, like I'm going to turn this off and we're going to get my purse and go. Yeah. Um, like See ya. So like this was a rushed, frantic pod because food was at the end of it. So. Yeah, but also it's a it's a lighter feeling. We can discuss yeah. more topics as opposed to. Like we only said Kavanaugh like three, now four times in the podcast. <laughs> so. And now we'll stop. Yeah. All right. So uh, keep misbehaving out there, ladies. Bye. Bye.